You're listening to the Serve Show podcast. We'd love to have you come check us out at www.serve.show. Customer service. I kind of see customer service as making the right engineering decisions uh, that would put your product in a positive um, light for the end user. So making whatever compromises are possible that make it the best experience you can. That was the voice of Alex Dennis, our guest in today's show. Today, we'll be looking at customer experience through the lens of a software engineer. We'll be taking a pretty deep dive into how the roles that shape our experiences with our everyday tech is influenced, not just on the front end of our gadgets and our cars, but the impact that comes all the way from the back end of the development pipeline. We'll also take a pretty interesting journey into how things have changed in the tech landscape and the impact it's having on the end user as a result of the impact it's having on the product engineers. Don't miss a minute of this episode. It's coming up right after this. This episode is brought to you by Twist. Twist is the communication tool for teams who believe that there's more to work, more to being productive than keeping up with group chat and instant messaging. If you work with any kind of team, whether it's a development team, a design team, a football team, a team of volunteers, and especially if it's a remote team, believe me when I say Twist is the communication tool you want to be using. Check them out at www.twist.com and stay tuned to this episode for a special free coupon to get you and your team started right. All right, welcome to this episode of Serve Podcast, brand new. Today we're going to be talking to, well, his real name is Carlton Alex Dennis, but I've known him for many years and um, I just call him Alex. We've been friends for, oh man, a while now. How long has it been, Alex? I would say maybe 15 years, somewhere around that. Maybe a little less, but around that. Wow. Well, Alex is here because, you know, we're talking about customer service and he is a software developer. Um, In many ways, he fits the mold and in many other ways, he doesn't fit the mold. At the end of the episode, we're going to be sharing Alex's um, social media details. You could probably follow him on Twitter. And if you already do, you will know that he's maybe a little bit of a philosopher in waiting. So I'm pretty sure we're in for some interesting insight. But um, let's just get right into it. Alex has been doing software development for a long time. Um, He's worked at places such as LexisNexis, which some of you may know. Right now, he's an Amazon developer, but his views today are his own. He's not speaking as a spokesperson or anything like that. So welcome, Alex. Glad to be here. All right. So like I'm going to do with all my guests, I want to just jump right in and make the first thing I want to ask to set the mood, to give us your perspective. I want to know, um, what is customer service to you? How do you see it? Customer service. I mean, for me, from the point of view of a software engineer, I mean, there's lots of ways you can think about customer service. But from a software engineer's standpoint, I kind of see customer service as making the right engineering decisions 
um, that would put your product in a positive um, light for the end user. So making whatever compromises are possible that make it the best experience you can. Okay, so it's sort of bringing into it already the whole product aspect, mm -hmm. which um, I've recently realized how important that is to the end product. It's, it's not just a software people, but uh, a, a product development seems to lean heavily on everybody, the, the designers, the, mm -hmm. the marketers, the, the support representatives, everybody. Um, so that's an interesting take on it. And your particular perspective would be strongly as a software developer. Um, how long have you been doing software development? Uh, I think professionally I've been doing software development for roughly 14 years now. 14 Maybe 13, years. actually. Are you sure? Because for as long as I've known you, you've been doing software development. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about pre-college days, I mean, I've, I've always done software development on the side, building websites and stuff yeah. when I was in high school. I mean, if you add all that time in, it's probably <laughs> closer to... To two decades. To almost 20 years, yeah, yeah, actually. How did you get into it? Um, would you say it's something that maybe you sort of felt drawn to, or did you like just get defaulted into? You know, you were you were at high school, you ended up doing computer classes, you liked it, and then one thing led to another, or did you feel some profound call towards software development? I think it's basically just uh, luck, luck of the draw, <laughs> or happenstance, draw. because my father, working on a PhD in a school that required everybody to have a laptop. So from a very, you know, before everybody else knew what the internet was, my father had to use the internet. Oh. And we had to have a computer for him to work on his dissertations. So because of that, I got introduced to computers very, very, at a very, very early age. Ooh. Uh, and I think that's, that sort of is the genesis of it. Okay. So you've been, you've been at this a while and you're, you've been sticking with it. So you've seen all kinds of changes that, um, that, that the software industry, the development industry has gone through. Um, myself, I've, I've been at this for a while too. I've been, you know, coming from the BBS and the dial-up modem days and starting out maybe with assembly and Pascal and basic. And there's something that always, that I've, I've been looking at. Um, even from back then, there was this notion that um, programmers um, are not people person. They lack interpersonal skills. Um, they don't have good social skills or the ability to interpret what user needs are. You know, they're just like... Uh, um, just nerds that you just stick into a room and slide pizza under the door is the kind of um, the way that people see um, programmers over the year. Have you have you seen a change at all in that kind of um, how people see programmers or software developers in today's world? Um, uh, yeah, I think it's changed quite a bit. I mean, I remember when I was in high school and I would save my lunch money to buy, you know, computer magazines and programming magazines and people just look at me and say you know nerd like what are you doing <laughs> and these days now I would I would run into someone and say I'm a software engineer and then all of a sudden they like oh that's really interesting and I have people coming to me and asking me you know how do I do that how do I how do I become a software engineer so there seems to be you know this growing um, recognition that it's a, a valid <laughs> and do maybe you, even sought after do you think it's maybe the change to the word engineer that could be like making a difference where people have always sort of respected the, the engineer um, as opposed to the software developer. Do you think that plays a role at all where 
engineer is now being accepted as describing what you do? I think it. I think it's 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 less about the the wording, uh, more to do with the fact that computing has become more and more important in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like the iPhone, things like smartphones, um, are now coming to the point where they're front and center. Social media, front and center, and not only you know the minute like entertainment sector but there's also public sector with politics and you know it's, it's a huge part of of today's culture so i think people are just kind of recognizing that it's an important um a very important discipline of everyday life like you can't you can't escape it um we were just talking because you just took a lift and uh we were talking about you know it was so good <laughs> you said it was so good to be in the in the car listen to classical music and i was joking that you could have just fallen asleep which uh, you know, where, where we're going now with autonomous vehicles, that could be really where we're going with smart cars. You jump in a car, you fall asleep, you reach home, it beeps, it wakes you up. Um, but one of the things now is like when you have software developers, because these smart cars are operating on machine learning, maybe AI, there is, a, let's say, a team of software developers somewhere in that chain. And so they have a responsibility now to, uh, like, to, to determine how that piece of tech relates to the real world and deals with people, which in essence is customer service. Um, so do you think that there is a, like, a heavier weight of responsibility on software developers these days than it was in the past? Yeah, I think that's definitely being recognized you know, everywhere that I've worked, especially since... You have people who are setting setting standards, like you know, Apple famously has been very, very strong on design. Yeah. And other companies are trying to get Google's trying to get strong on design. Um, so people are getting used to very good experiences in their personal life, and they want yeah. that at work. Yeah. They want that. They want it everywhere. They want it in all their apps. They want that fluid inter- interface. Um, and because the affordances that we have in some of our old technology have been so well modeled. You know, like some people say, why why use an app or why use computers when they can do things the old way? Because they're so used to it. It's it's actually been, it's gone through a long history of refinement that certain other, like say calling a cab for instance. Some people yeah. are very used to just calling a cab, going out there, putting up just their hand, the cab in the street shows yeah. up, right? <laughs> yeah. And the cab looks the same all the time, and there's just like a certain protocol, and it's just easy. Yeah. And so the question is, how do we make digital or these new systems as easy as the old systems yeah. um, at higher scale? And I think that that's why the human the humanities plays a huge part in where technology goes. I I agree with that. You you mentioned, you know, the old ways, and one of the other changes that I, I've I've noticed over the years is when I did software engineering, um, one of the things that the lecturer and the teachers and everybody would harp on is. It's very important when you become a software developer or programmer to make sure you have excellent documentation. And I remember back in the days when you bought software, you had to get a manual. These days, if you buy something, I couldn't tell the last time I got a manual. Like you might get a like a quick start guide, but nobody really gives a manual. You you could probably go online and download a PDF. Um, so. It's, it's like user experience um, and intuitiveness is front and center. And it seems like humanities has, they have that, that whole industry of um, human psychology and, 
um, computer interaction, you know, human computer action is a bigger deal now. Um, do you think software developers are sort of having to become more rounded? So they have to become psychologists. They have to be um, sort of have, uh, you know, their feet dangling in the whole user experience, expertise and design areas. Do you think software developers are uh, mandated then to be more more rounded techies? I mean, I think there's a place for it. I think there's a certain part of that discipline that software engineers need to know about. There's a there's a great book called Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug, Ooh. which talks about this whole idea of usability and that applications uh, should be more or less intuitive. And it talks a lot about how you build applications that are like this. And I feel like all software engineers should have some base understanding. Yeah. But I also think that this is hard. This is a really hard really thing hard. to do. And I feel like there are certain people, there's actually a new discipline that's evolving called the UX designer, Ooh. which I feel like is someone who should work along with software engineers. Not to say that software engineers shouldn't know this stuff, but just to say that there is more attention does need to be to be put into to, to building good experiences. Okay. Um, you touched on something interesting there. I'm going to ask you, um, let's dive into roles a little bit. You mentioned the... Uh, the UX um, designer. UX designer. So we have UX designers. We have designers. We have software. <laughs> I mean, do you think the software developer is now um, like an like a like more of a an overarching role? And then, what kind of software developer are you? Is becoming a real thing? Where? Oh yeah, there's definitely that's that's definitely happening. I mean. You hear it, if you take a parallel in the old world, you have mechanical engineers, you have electrical engineers, you have right. you know all these different types of engineers. This is happening in, in software. I mean, you have machine learning engineers, you have you know uh, distributed computing engineers. People are doing things at scale. Yeah. You have front end engineers is now a, a thing that's oh yeah <laughs> that's really really coming around. Yeah, because everyone's realizing that there's there's more to it than just programming. There's amount of understanding the constraints understanding what you can do within those constraints and so it really becomes a discipline yeah I was I was there's a book that I I read recently I really enjoyed it um, it's it's deep deep work by Cal Newport and it really looks into being able to go deep in something that you need to whatever it is that you need to accomplish and I've been thinking a lot more about um, especially us as techies becoming masters of our world um, again, back in the day, you know, when you were you were becoming a software developer or engineer, you you kind of had to know a little bit of everything, and the the technology was moving so fast that you had to just just learn what was on the surface and move on. But it seems these days you really have to pick uh, maybe a, a few areas that are related and go real deep with it, um, so that you can be. Um, you can have a better contribution. You can be master of your area. So um, these days, where you, ha you need a backend engineer, you need a backend engineer who understands everything. And so that's kind of what I'm wondering. When you say software developers these days, it's not what it used to be back in the day. Software developers seem to to have to be more mindful of all the facets of what it takes to produce a product. And when you look at things like, for example, uh, the smart assistants, for example. Um, when you say, well, I don't want to set up everybody's things, but let's say, hey, G, or, um, you know, 
Echo or whatever it is to, to wake up that smart assistant. Um, from that moment on, as, a, as an end user, you don't really think about what happens uh, behind it un unless you hit a bad experience. Um, but for it to be a good experience, it takes everyone. It takes a, it takes a yep. front end engineer, the back end engineer, um, the, the, the person's doing the translations because everything has to be localized nowadays with our global village. Um, do, do you, in your maybe your regular work and projects over the years, do you find that you've been forced to go deeper and maybe, I don't know, let go of some of the things and just like, I'm just not gonna. I'm just going to not be able to be an expert in everything. Is that something that you've seen going oh, on? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's become more and more of a thing. Um, what I do, though, I do feel like as an engineer, um, it's good to go broad and deep. This broad is particularly my, my personal strategy. How does that work? <laughs> this sounds like, I mean, you're, you're a dad, you're a family man, you've got things going on. That sounds impossible. Like, if you. Let's well, hear it. So, one of the things that's very interesting about. Um, engineering or computer engineering, software engineering in general, um, is the proliferation of content online. Yeah. And this is kind of how I taught myself how to, to engineer. I think maybe in some ways, because the very early days of the internet, it was uh, people who were building the internet who were putting things on the internet and they talked about what they knew. Right. So there was plenty of <laughs> information about how to build a website, which yeah. is kind of where I got started. Um, so I kind of feel like, you know, every new technology that comes out, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, I think it makes sense to go and investigate it, you know, spend maybe a weekend, do a tutorial, because there are plenty, and then just get a, like a working understanding of what that technology is. But then also know within yourself when to just stop pursuing a particular thing, but just to know it exists. Because okay. oftentimes, knowing that it exists will come back around to help you when you have to engineer a solution with people who are working in those domains. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I want. I want to. I want to pick up on that when you have to, you know, work with other people working on other things, related things. Um, we're gonna. We're gonna take a, a quick break. Um, when we get back, we're gonna. We're gonna pick it up right there and talk a little bit more about that. We'll be right back. We just wanted to take a little break to thank the sponsors of today's show, Twist a team communication tool created by Doist. Have you ever worked on a team trying to coordinate and communicate critical pieces of information only to end up spending most of your time fighting the constant strain and headache of figuring out the context of that message you just read? Or spending 15 minutes scrolling upwards and upwards trying to locate the references to some past conversation? If you have, you know it's like trying to swim against a tide of a waterfall of news and announcements, funny forwards and pictures and videos, and eventually the whole thing degenerates to nothing more than a stressful space of chaos and anarchy. If your team is still struggling with the unending task of trying to tame the mayhem of email, or getting your information repository under control, or just keeping up with the day-to-day -day tracts of inter-team communication, then I highly recommend Twist. Twist was made by a team of remote professionals spread out all across the globe just for you. Before using Twist, my team tried to get things done via instant messaging and group chat. Big mistake. It was always like trying to hop a freight train going at 200 miles an hour. We switched to Twist and the difference was like night and day. 
It was amazing the instant impact it had on reducing the distraction and stress level of the team. Please visit serve.show slash sponsors for a free coupon code that will help you get your team started off right. I guarantee your team will be better off for it. Check out Twist today at twist.com. Thank you, Twist. Now, back to our show. We're back. We're still talking to Alex, uh, software developer extraordinaire. Um, we're looking at software development, um, the software developer role holistically, and kind of trying to see um, a broader picture of what it is and how it impacts on customer service, um, consumers, the, the end user who uses it, the people who enjoy it in their daily lives. Um, and we want to talk a little bit about about roles, about the, the different roles that the software engineer plays and how he interacts with other people. Um, where I want to start is, um, there is a show, it's one of my favorite shows, it's called Office Space. I'm sure you've watched it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let us listen to a little clip um, and then we'll discuss a little bit. This is, just to set it up, there is a, it's, a, it's a software development company and they're going through some, let's say, restructuring. So they brought in consultants to sort of evaluate everybody's roles and, you know, your, your purpose um, at the company. And there's this one guy. Well, I'm going to let you hear <laughs> what happened. What you do in Inatech is you take the specifications from the customers and you bring them down to the software engineers. Yes, y yes, that's, that's right. Well, then I just have to ask, why couldn't the customers just take them directly to the, to the software people, huh? Well, uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, because engineers are not good at dealing with customers. Uh -huh. So you physically take the specs from the customer? Well, no. My, my secretary does that. Or the facts. Huh. So then you must physically bring them to the software people? Well, no. Yeah, I mean, sometimes. Uh, what, what would you say you do here? Well, look, I already told you. I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand it? What the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> That's a scene from one of my favorite shows. No, um, as funny as it is, um, it's it's uh, it's not fiction. I've <laughs> I've worked in enough development houses to know that this is a real thing. Um, it's becoming, I think, less so now. But um, people, as we talked about before, had programmers. The 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 interpretation, their the the way they saw them, were that they just. You just got to spit out technical code to them, what exactly you want, and they just spit something back out at you. You had to have like this intermediary who would humanize what they do. But it seems um, that's not the case anymore. Um, I'm not sure what exactly to attribute that to, if it's that the technology has just gone too deep, but the roles have changed. Um, you are now dealing as a software developer with, um, you have to... in. You have to work off specs. You got to work with the product team. You have to work with the designers. You have to work with 
um, the translators, the, even the you know the customer representatives who oftentimes are the biggest voice and representatives of your customers inside the company. You have to listen to them because they like they're in the trenches. They know exactly what customers experience a lot of times. Um, what would you what would you um, attribute this change to? Why um, we're now having situations where um, you know the the software developer has to be more sensitive to to the customer service needs. What do you think is causing that? The success of software. The success of software. Yeah, because I think I think in the earlier days when software just started out, it was very esoteric. It's being used in labs. It's being used in government. It's being used for high science things. Ah. Uh, then when it got on the internet. The only people who would who found it were the people who were loners who were in the corner and they were just, you know, this is this is all speculation. I, ha- I don't have any data to, to support this. Yeah, I, th- I think but, it's uh, fair. I, I feel fair. that you know, in the early days, you could do so much on your own yeah. to get uh, an MVP or minimal viable product, something just out there, yeah. without talking to anybody. Yeah. And so those skills just were not stuff that a software engineer necessarily needs to develop. Hmm. Well, so okay, so. Um, the, the picture you painted was in the early days of the internet, um, you know, which I, you know, I can relate to. They, there weren't all these like it, there weren't these browsers and you could just hop on and browse to a site. It was lurking in um, IRC channels and finding, you know, all these different little gatherings and your little um, your little tribes of people who like what you like and that sort of a thing. So um Maybe a lot of these persons were like myself, people who were very curious, but I I was almost like in my own small corner. And so I probably didn't like talk to people a whole lot. And so I was able to, oh, this is what your need is. And, and, and so I could interpret it into software back in the day. Um, and what I've seen, I could be wrong, but it seems to me that um, the particularly successful techies, the one who who kind of has the tech skills, but as well as some of those soft skills, um, some of those, um, you know, uh, like rock star techies who've made it. A lot of them have been able to interpret what what what's coming, uh, what the needs of people are, and then sort of build something to meet that need. Um, and some of them have really been able to, I guess, run ahead of the curve, and so head it off at the pass, and they've just, you know, hit pay dirt. Um, and maybe some people have just gotten lucky. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, this is a really complex thing to unpack. One thing yeah. you said there, I think that was particularly important. Where, you know, maybe I said, you know, maybe these engineers don't know how to talk to people necessarily because it wasn't a required skill for them. But you did touch on an important point where they talk to each other. And they yes. talk to each other very effectively. That's true. Um, but then that creates a subculture, yeah. which you know isn't mainstream. Right. Um, so that's one. Two. There's lots of problems that you can solve without necessarily talking to the rest of society. Like I actually feel like things like Google, things like Facebook, were things that you could build them and scale them. Yeah. Without necessarily having a lot of input from the rest of the world. Yeah. But now we've come to a point where because things are becoming so important and things are getting more nuanced in terms of their applications Ooh. that now we require a much stronger relationship between those who are building the stuff and the people who they're serving. This is deep. This is deep. Wait, let me unpack that. So 
So because, okay, so you could basically build any platform to a point, but once it grows and takes on this life where it, it becomes adopted by society almost, you start to impact enough people who are not like you, who are outside of the, you know, the techie circles or, you know, these unique esoteric kind of groupings. And then you have to start thinking outside of your own box. And now that, as you say, with the success of software, and I guess tech in general, technology has really grown. It's, 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 it's like ushering in a new day where you can't just sit down and have a platform go from zero to superhero without contemplating impact on society. And, you know, especially what we're talking about, the customer service angle of it is, um, when you when Facebook maybe you know get some kind of backlash or criticism about some kind of privacy issue, um, it really is a customer service issue as well because the customer for Facebook maybe doesn't want things this way. They don't want their data gathered. They don't want you to share this. They don't want you to sell this. Um, and of course, you know everybody has those problems. It's a it's a tightrope between collecting data and analyzing it and sharing it and selling it and and people people really um, really feel strongly about those sort of things so what I'm seeing is like it's it's technology maturing in such a way and we have the sort of platform infrastructure everything now where you can't go it alone as a techie you have to consider how does it impact the end user how does it impact users people which is now users even feels like a word, a misplaced word. When you talk about some of these things, it's just people. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're talking about things like self-driving cars. You, I mean, the truth is, you get in a car, you are a user. But it's it's closer to being people. And once you start dealing with people, you kind of have to think people first. I'd love to hear some more comments from our listeners what they think about that. Um, but let's stick a pin right there and let's talk a little bit more about people. You've been a software developer for a while now, and uh, you know you've been you've 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 been at it so long that you're kind of senior, and over your career you you know you've been a team lead and a manager, which is kind of almost inevitable in today's world, where you move from like a senior developer to managing a team. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is. What advice would you have for new, maybe even struggling developers who found themselves turned into managers and they have, to, they have to manage people? They have to basically not sacrifice internal customer service levels, which is dealing with you know, people on your own team because customer service is not just inside out or outside in, it's also within the company, within your own teams. How can they maintain productivity as leaders, as managers, without sacrificing the all-important customer service that you give intra-team and inter-team? Hmm. There are lots of there are lots of ways to think about that because, say for instance, if you're if you're an engineer, you become you know a team lead, probably because you're doing right things for the customer, and so you have very good knowledge of the product. Yeah, uh, and now you transition to manager, so you already have a high bar on quality. So then now the question is, how do you, how do you keep that that quality high when now it's really primarily not you who's supposed to be writing the code, but other people. And there's also people who, who say, well, you're you're a manager, but you're an engineer, so maybe you could still write code. Yeah, 
I have tried this. Um, <laughs> and I've written code as a manager. I've written a lot of code as a manager until yeah. until at some point I realized that it wasn't really serving the company best for Why? me to be is it, code. Is it, is it that you have to pick one? Mostly because there's only so much that my mind can actually take at once. There's different, I think there's different mental processes when you're programming yeah. versus when you're coordinating across multiple programmers. It's a different type of skill set. And so I think that if you are constantly trying to be the programmer, you could drop the ball on, on, on inspiring the rest of the team to do work. And would you say that that's maybe, is it the main or one of the main goals of a team lead is to inspire? Well, when I say inspire, I mean specifically not even, not really inspire, more as to bolster, more as to give them the support that they need. So when I think uh, about it in terms of going from an engineer to a manager, what I realized eventually is that my role was to actually be the manager that I wanted. Uh, that is, when I had ooh. managers who didn't understand anything about the code, and they said, okay, they set these ridiculous deadlines, uh, <laughs> or they didn't give the support, they didn't feel like we should go to um, conferences, or they didn't want to give us you know, a time to do learn and be curious, like just some time to just go and 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 test out new ideas that yeah. could be useful for the business. Yeah. Someone who's an engineer knows how important that is to engineers to yeah, have you're, those sorts you're, of you're, you're 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 describing that scenario for me and I'm already feeling stressed out. Like, you know, this is expected of you but you don't have the manager who who understands what you need in your role and as a person to grow and to develop. And it sounds to me like what you're talking about is trust maybe learning how to trust your team and have your team trust you well a, a lot of it what it is is giving them the opportunity to be their best ah. so if you're writing code you're just now writing code that someone else could have written and learned something from yes you've now solved a problem that someone else could have solved and, and really understood it because when you start telling people when I, one of the things I've, I've learned in software engineering is you learn a lot more when you do it yourself you're, and you and sometimes you do it yourself and you fail and then someone explains to you how you failed. Yeah. You learn a lot more than if you never failed in the first place. Ooh, I like that. Um, and I, I also like, I, I've noticed a trend where, you know, uh, failure, it's, I don't know, it's a paradox. Failure is becoming something that's, uh, it sounds bad, a little bit more acceptable than back in the day. And I say it's a paradox because I'm thinking about how much more dependent we're, we are on technology. And I'm thinking it can't fail. Like, like you don't want a self-driving car to fail ever. We were talking about this earlier and you were saying, statistically, it must happen. It's going to happen. Um, but what's important is how we deal with that, maybe that first event. Um, but it's hard. To, how, do you, how, do you, how do you put that message out there? Um, let's say, you know, from a customer service standpoint, I'm, I want to take your cars. I want to use your self-driving car. But you're going to say to me, you know, statistically, one of you must die someday. Like, that seems like, that doesn't seem like great customer service. Like, you know, how do, how do we approach that in this, in this new day, this new age that we're living in? So, you know, one of the things that I think that's interesting about software engineering these days is that we're, we're beginning to sort of fall or get a, a stronger understanding about what, what we actually, how to actually architect good software. So yeah. some of the, there's certain patterns that are now repeating to the point where they're kind of solid. Uh, in the early days, it wasn't quite clear what you needed to do. And so you needed to have this iterate, iterative sort of mentality because you need to try a lot of things in order to get it right. Yeah. 
now that we've gotten to the point where we have a, a better understanding of what does work well, you could argue that now it's time to step back and actually try and and be what other engineering disciplines do, which is to have stronger requirements and stronger upfront um, quality um, measurements. Hmm. Uh, but then th once you do that, you're going to slow down software Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So there's, there's a trade-off between you know, how fast you want to go yeah. and how much quality you want to have. And I think that's probably every industry faces this. Uh, does it, is it just something that comes with maturity where you just have to be responsible? Because if you even look at, I mean, this, this, this podcast isn't supported, sponsored by Facebook. And we've been talking a lot about <laughs> Facebook. But if you look at it, they started out with the, I guess you could say the mantra of just move fast and break things. And there came a point where they realized as we were saying before, it's no longer, you know, a little, uh, some group of techies enjoying this thing. It ha as a company, it has to be more responsible. And so that couldn't work anymore. Um, so maybe it's just a matter of realizing um, as your impact on the world gets bigger, you have to step up your level of uh, customer service, thinking about people, thinking about how you impact them. And, and I guess... Um, as, in, as, as inevitably things go wrong, as you said, how do you make it right when it goes wrong? You have to think about that as well. Yeah, I think I think that's a hard. That's definitely an important thing. I think I don't. I haven't read enough on this about what do you do when your service goes out and it affects a billion people. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, we're we're talking about you know the type of scale of some assistance that we have today. Uh, is so huge it's, it's sort of unprecedented in terms of its scope and then you all you almost want to say well we need better regulation or there needs to be sort of like yeah. third-party verification groups yeah. but then there's a pol there's a whole set of politics that comes into that that yeah. I think that you know most often software engineer people want to get away from because yeah. worse you don't want people who are policing you who don't know anything about technology which a little bit of that's happening right now right and as you said it slows it slows the whole thing down um, but as you said, everything's, everything's kind of a balance and the industry is changing all the time and we just hope that it changes in the right direction. Um, and I guess the, 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 the last thing I want to just kind of talk about that's on my mind is I've also noticed that, um, you know, as people get, get more senior in their career, software developers, software engineers, um, it's almost like as that whole field matures, they're now realizing that not everybody uh, are managers. Not everybody can do that kind of uh, people management. And even though you're a great developer, you've been doing this for years, um, there really are two, more like two tracks. One is the leadership track where you kind of, you want to be that senior developer and, and you're like a black belt in all things, whatever you specialize in. And you're not really managing people. You are. You're just leading the industry. You're making waves. You're setting the specs. You're blazing the trail. And the other side is people who manage people. And in managing people, they they inspire them. You know, they they maybe stop writing code. You know, they don't review PRs or anything like that. But they inspire people to to be their their best selves, as you say. Um, and, but either way you take it, I think there is that responsibility to people. In your own sojourn, 
do you like do you think that that's a, a good way do you think that these are the two paths do you see a third path or do you think we need to converge again because maybe everybody has the capacity to inspire others i mean this is this is one of those psychological puzzles out there in terms of why are some people good at some things versus other things yeah there are, there are different people who have posited different things about this and now i'm stepping out of my <laughs> expertise here but and I kind of agree with this sentiment. I can't remember who came up with this idea, but they posited that if you could live long enough, you could learn to be everything. Ooh, um, okay. <laughs> I, I think there is some merit to that. Okay. I think I yeah. think that okay. you, it's really more a matter of um, where your motivation lies. If you're motivated enough, you can change your brain, I believe, with enough data points given to it that you could completely change or in a large way change the way that you uh, you operate. But that being said... I do think that you know right now there's emerging uh, a non-managerial path yeah. of leadership, which is more of like thought leader. Yeah, yeah, that's the more word. of like you know the person who can design systems across organizations. Yeah, um, and I think that because it, because software has been so successful and because now it's beginning you know global reach, we have these particular companies and and systems that are big enough that they do require someone who's an engineer at a higher level. It's an yeah. engineer who can work with, you know, more junior engineers or, you know, intermediate engineers and collaborate with them. And those people tend to probably really more produce specs. Yeah. Um, but they can, they can take all the things that they've learned when they're building smaller components to think about building larger components that are going to have subcomponents built by other people. Have you been involved in, like, specs building, the specs building process? Have you ever worked... Um, along with someone or even you know had to roll specs out yourself i have when you're when you're putting that together like you know this the draft or the final specs how much uh forethought is given to it so that you think about the end user is it a little or a lot at that when you're writing specs so this is where it gets interesting right um because as 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 it, you know, in terms of uh, specializations, there's another particularly important role that has emerged, and the product manager. Yeah, this is the person who would be that guy yeah. who talks to the customer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and can speak in customer terms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and is a, and is also should be a super user. Like they should really know how to use the product inside out. Inside out, they yeah. should be an advanced user. They should know. They should be able to talk to like new people and they know exactly what the struggles are. New people, they're the people who, who collect all the like the user data in their mind. Yeah, and those people should should be able to then distill to the engineer. You know, these are the requirements. Yeah, and then the engineer says, okay, these are the requirements. I'm going to build a system that fits the requirements. Yeah. Now, often what happens though, especially when you're starting a new product, which there is no data, there's very little customer data. You're going more, more off of speculation as to what you think the customer wants. Gut feeling. Gut feeling. Best practice, <laughs> that sort of thing. Maybe, maybe that, maybe that visionary knows something about that space because they worked in that space. Maybe they're a travel agent before, and now they're working in travel product. Yeah. Um, but what often happens though, and I think this is this is where the engineer does have some responsibility. Is that I think oftentimes the customer experience degrades to what the the software engineer decides Ooh. is most important, <laughs> uh, especially when you have like time pressures. Yeah. Right. If 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 you know 
the, you have the UX designers and they say this should be this this should be the experience. Yeah. And you have designers who say this is the color scheme. Yeah. And you have you know product managers who say this is what's most important to the customer. Yeah. yeah. And then the engineer comes around and says, okay, this is the time you want me to get this. This done, is what you can get. And this is the compromises <laughs> I'm going to make. Yeah. And so then the yeah. engineer decides the customer experience. And uh, what's interesting is <laughs> a year from now when the customer complains about something. And then you go and say, why is this like that? And somebody said, oh, it's because I don't know. <laughs> and then when, when you roll it back and check, check the history, it's just that there was uh, what is essentially a sprint of some sort. And that's just the time we had to do it. And it impacts the customer. But it was, it was never intended to be like a long-term thing. It was a decision that, that snowballed, sometimes out of control. Um, so I'm wondering if in the future we're going to start seeing roles. Um, I've, I've seen different, you know, terms floated around like, you know, support heroes and people within the team structure and organization and the company whose, whose job it is to follow these things up. Because oftentimes, as you said, developers are working under pressure and they don't have time often to stop and say, OK, let's clean up. Uh, code debt or you know to go back and we did this and there's like a to-do in the code there's a comment and everything how are we going to fix this next time on the next cycle and it just never happens um, do you see where maybe we're looking at a role where customer service is going to start taking on a different kind of and some additional roles that will yeah. cauterize this, this sort of I think it's already happening. I mean, you see certain companies have a role called a site reliability engineer. Ah, yes. Who, who their their stated purpose is to make sure that the system runs well. Like, they're not doing new features necessarily. What they're doing is watching the metrics, and they're seeing what customers are doing, and they're optimizing wow. systems so that the users have the best experience, making sure availability is up, making sure things are fast. Okay. Now, you could take the same realm in terms of, like, making sure features are refined. Like, you could take okay. that one step further and say, you know, is there a role for someone who's going to refine features um, separate and apart from the engineer who's doing the greenfield work? That's what I'm talking about. Because right now it seems like that, what you described, is more of a back-end engineer kind of role. And they're looking at crash logs and looking at, you know, what sort of things are happening. But they're still on the back-end and fixing it from the back-end without much connection to the customer and I feel like as um, you know the whole industry and the whole role develops um, we're going to start seeing more I don't even know what the role is going to be but some roles that are dedicated to connecting those dots between and not in the way that we just saw in office space you know <laughs> but like really some it, it's going to take on more of an of an expert kind of way and it's going to it's going to be more respected. Um, it's going to be a respected position where people start realizing that these platforms that we're dealing with now, um, you know, it's not just all fun and games. It's people's lives. And so it's very important to kind of sort it out what, what the customer wants and how this really badly impacts someone. So um, I'm looking forward to, to that day. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm sure many people are. Yes. Um, this has been a great talk. Thank you so much, Alex, for you know coming to sit down with us. Um, you know this this is an exciting time, and uh, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I'm pretty sure we're going to have a part two with you at some point. Um, for our users who are going to be listening to this podcast, I 
I want to I want to allow them to be able to continue to follow up with you. Um, what's what's the best place to keep in touch with you? What do you what what is your your watering hole online, so to speak? Yeah, so this is interesting. I I tend to post quite a bit on Facebook, but I keep that kind of private. Yeah. But I also have a Twitter at Alex underscore Dennis. Okay. So I may post there, and I also every now and again post on Medium, also at Alex underscore Dennis. Yeah, I've seen some of your long-form articles. They're really thought-provoking. Listeners, be sure to check it out. So once again, this has been a Surf Podcast. We've been talking to Alex Dennis, um, philosopher in waiting and software developer extraordinaire. Please tune in to our next episode. Like us, follow us, share us. We have some awesome things in store for you. Thank you again for listening. Until the next time. Serve. Please like and subscribe to our episodes. You can find us at www.serve.show or The Serve Show, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Search for us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. If it's where you can get podcasts, you'll probably find us there. Thank you so much for listening today. And remember, sometimes people may remember what you did for them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So, until next time, have a delight-filled day. Something wrong with your I don't want no attention